So it was the late 60s, and um, I used to go down and watch my mother play table tennis. She was Indian national champion in the late 50s. And that's where I really developed the passion for table tennis. I used to just watch um, her play, used to watch other people play, and then just go and grab a table tennis bat and a table tennis ball and hit it against the wall for hours and hours on end. I used to drive them really crazy. But from there, I really developed my passion for table tennis and uh, we moved to Australia in 1970. And after that, I started going down to the old Albert Park Table Tennis Centre um, where we used to get some coaching and we used to get uh, some match play as well. And from that, that's where I really developed uh, my game of table tennis. I remember my first lesson of table tennis. I went down to Albert Park and um, the guy there, John Laffin, told me about opening and closing the bat. Still really vivid in my memory. I can even remember the court that we were on. Um, we used to then play regularly on a Saturday. We used to play regularly um, uh, training. And also then we used to play some competition. I then went on and started to play at my local club um, at Diamond Valley Table Tennis Club. I played in the pennant competition there and, uh, and also then started to play a lot of junior tournaments. So I started playing my first junior tournament in 1974, so I was nine or 10 at the time. Um, again, remember that very vividly, uh, playing that first tournament and making the final of the under 10s, I think it was. Um, so uh, yeah, again, that was the first of the tournaments that I played. Um, and then from then on, it was really regular um, playing, competing, um, just training, um, and having lots and lots of fun at the game of table tennis. It was 1987, and every day after school, I'd go to my friend's house, Michael Jacobson, and he had an outdoor table tennis table and a snooker table. And we just started playing, you know, a bit of each, but a lot of table tennis. And then one day he said, hey, Jeff, should we go down to the table tennis club? And I was like, what's a table tennis club? I didn't even know these things existed. But um, he took us down and we played our first competition there. And it was, a, it was a handicap competition. So you got a head start or you gave a head start depending on how good your opponent was relative to you. And I did pretty well. At first we were grouped with players our own level and I got through that stage and then they had like a knockout and I played one of these guys that was like awesome and he started on minus 10 and I started on 27 in a game up to 31 and I thought surely I'm going to win this, I only need four points. Um, but I think I only got two points for the whole game, he ended up winning 31-29. And I was like, wow, this guy is so good. If I practice, I can become as good as him. And, um, you know, that was my start in table tennis. So this week on the podcast, our theme is starting out. Thanks for joining us today on the Ask the Coach show where we answer your table tennis questions. As you heard, the theme of the week is starting out and that will run through our segments, Drill of the Week, tip of the week, remember when, and of course, all the questions. So stay with us, enjoy the show, and as always, enjoy your table tennis. First up, let's hear a little bit more from Alois and myself about how we started out in table tennis. So what was the thing about the game of table tennis that really grabbed you? 
That's a good question. Um, I, I actually liked all sports, so you know, I loved cricket and, and I played a little bit of rugby league. Um, but table tennis, I just liked the way that the, the ball seemed to dip when people hit it and just the speed and the reflexes that the people had. Um, so yeah, it really grabbed me and you know, I've been hooked ever since. So what sort of bat did you use when you first started? Oh, my first bat, when we just went around to my friend's house, um, we just had like an old bat that was worn and it's been left outside, really hard to generate any spin on. Um, so, you know, those games weren't really about spin, they were just about, you know, just getting the ball back on the table. And, um, and when you went to the club, what was the thing that really struck you about the difference between playing at home with your friend and playing at the club? Um, just the skill level of the players when we went to the club was incredible. Like, I never imagined you could hit the ball so hard and I'd never been able to generate topspin. So to see these people hitting these huge topspin shots just blew my mind. I was like, wow, that is really incredible. How can they hit the ball that hard? So, so you went to the club and you went with a friend. Was it a bit of a scary experience to start off with? Um... I found it a really good club to go to and they were welcoming and they were, you know, helped us get started and so they were really encouraging. So I found it a great experience to visit the club. And then after you started going down to the club, what was the, what was the big step that you thought, okay, this is the sport for me? I guess, you know, doing well at a sport really gives you confidence and really makes you enjoy that sport even more. So, you know, just having some success in tournaments uh, really encouraged me to keep going with it. And once, yeah, once you kind of feel like you're good at a sport, it, it makes it much more enjoyable to keep going and keep working towards becoming even better. Do you remember what the hall was like in India? Yeah, I do. It was just a, it was actually a badminton and table tennis area. It was the... Bandra Gymkhana, I think they used to call it. I'll have to check with mum on that one. Um, and um, I used to go down there and watch her play. Um, and I uh, used to sit, sit on the side and, um, and hit the ball along the floor and up against the wall. And, yep, really enjoyed it. And was table tennis really popular in India in the 60s? Yeah, it was. It was, uh, it was a very popular sport. So mum was, um, you know, pretty famous in India at the time. You know, used to get a lot of uh, newspaper um, articles and clippings that we've still got um, about her. So, uh, as it wasn't, it's not um, as popular as you know the big sports of hockey, uh, um, etc. But um, it certainly was um, a very popular sport in India at the time, and still is. There you go. And um, did you have any uh, big rivals when you first started playing? Oh yeah, there was a, there was a little group of um, of us as juniors that you know we all competed with each other. So there was Greg McNaughton um, and Dean Sachs, and I think I played those two guys in my first tournament, perhaps. Um, and then um, a little bit later on, there was Carl McKernan, who played um, at a really high level and and reached a high level as a junior. Um, and yeah, players like Jason Warland and Michael Hill, and yeah, lots and lots of uh, good memories of those days, and, and, and the rivalry, but also the, the really good friendship um, that we developed as juniors, because we used to go down there and practice together, and, and then compete against each other as well. 
And when you first started out, is it more about practicing or just playing a lot or getting the right coaching? It was, it was a lot about just being in the space of playing a lot of table tennis. So having that friendship group um, and getting down there uh, regularly and being able to play um, just on the table. And, and we used to spend a lot of hours just, you know, just, just hitting the ball to each other, not necessarily formal training, um, but uh, yeah, it was just a lot of hours on the table. We did also get a lot of um, coaching at the time on the Saturday afternoons. Uh, there was a really nice junior group um, under um, Keith Keane and my mum used to help with that as well and John Laffin um, and uh, we, we gained a lot of just the really good basics you know um, learning how to control the ball learning the basic strokes but mainly getting out there on the table and being able to to hit so many balls at, at a young age. It's now time for Tip of the Week, and first up, we've got a really good one for those starting out in table tennis. It's all about the most important skill. So, Alois, what is the most important skill in table tennis when you're starting out? The, the most important thing that I think when you're just starting to play the game is to be able to put the ball on the table consistently. I see a lot of players when they first start out just trying to hit the ball way too hard. You know, they get out there and they, they start to bash the ball. That's okay, it's a bit of fun, and that's good. But if you're really starting to think about improvement, then it's about being able to control the ball well and to control the ball in the right direction as well. So not only being able to hit the ball onto the table but it, that involves hitting the ball straight and also hitting the ball softly enough. Okay. So when someone yeah, comes down to a club for the mm -hmm. first time, do you worry about the correct grip or just, just totally concentrate on getting many balls on the table? Yeah. So initially it's about the player just enjoying their experience. You know, I always say if the player can still be playing in five years' time, then we're winning. Um, if they come down for the first time and you give them all the information that you know about table tennis and they might improve really quickly but they didn't enjoy the experience, they're just not going to be there again. So it's about them enjoying what they're doing to start with. Yeah, I, I think I'm sometimes guilty of that, Alice. I'll try and, you know, try and correct people too much and it, it just puts them off. Yeah, and as coaches, that's what we like to do, isn't it? So, yeah, I suppose the, the most, most important thing there is just let them play to start with. Okay, excellent. Now, have you got any tips for people that are watching this and, and want to hit a lot of balls on the table? Yeah, so we talked a little bit earlier about just getting the direction right, but also getting the speed right. The, the thing that I see the most is that players will, will hit the ball too hard to start with. So it's not about being able to, you know, you're not able to hit the ball hard enough to get it on. Table tennis, it's about being able to hit the ball softly enough so it doesn't go flying off the end of the table. Mm. So the two things are direction and softly. Okay. So I just realised we said you don't want to give them too many tips because they'll get overwhelmed and then I just asked you for some tips. Yeah, I know. There you go. That, that's, that's what we do as coaches. But... They're, they're, they're the sort of things that you can just bring in subtly. You don't need to give them a big lecture before they start playing. Just let them hit a bit. Um, if they're starting to get frustrated because the ball is flying off the end of the table too much or they're not getting 
to hit it in the right direction, that's when you can bring in those, those simple things. All right, sounds good. Uh, should we have a little look at what that looks like in practice? Let's do it. So to start off with, I mean, this is something that's pretty simple for Jeff and I to do with controlling the ball really well. But when players first begin to play the, ta uh, the game of table tennis, you're going to find that they will often, especially on the forehand side, be a bit awkward and be hitting the ball sideways that way sometimes and doing that sort of thing. So it's about them just starting to be able to relax and get the bat facing in the right direction. And that's the thing that I want to emphasise a lot to start off with, is just getting them to make sure that that bat is facing the right way. If the bat's facing the right way, then the ball is going to also go in the correct direction. Especially on the forehand side, that's awkward to start off with. So getting that bat to face forwards is a real key. How do they do that? They can just turn their body a fraction, perhaps, or you can just get them to turn their feet a little bit. Not too much, but if you emphasise that hitting the ball in that direction relies on the bat angle facing in the right direction, then you're going to start to be able to learn to play the game pretty well to start off with and get that feeling of being able to hit the ball on the table It's now time for Drill of the Week. And today we're going to be talking about something that's changed a lot since I first started out, the physical warm-up. So let's have a look at the warm-up. When you're warming up in table tennis now, the popular idea is that you need to do more dynamic movements. Previously, when we warmed up, we did a lot of static stretches. So things like holding a stretch with your hamstring and holding that for 20 seconds or 30 seconds. Now, as a warm-up, the popular thinking is that you need to be doing some more um, movement-type exercises. So we tend to start our warm-ups with the top and move our way down. Before we do that, though, I like to do just a gentle jog around. So what does that do? It just starts to get the heart rate up and you're just jogging nice and slowly. You don't have to sprint anywhere and you don't even need a very big area. So just jogging around. So just to start to get the whole body moving and to get your heart rate up slightly. How long would you do that for? Probably only two or three minutes at the most. Just as I said, just to get things moving. Then we're gonna start with the body. So to start with, I like to do a shoulder movement. So that gets your shoulders starting to mobilise, rolling them forward, and then you can make the action bigger and bigger. And you'll feel the difference when you've got it small in there compared to when you've got a bigger movement. There's a, a, a wider range of movement and you'll feel different muscles starting to move in your shoulders. So then you can do the same thing, but going backwards. So again, you can start with small and move to bigger movements. If you want to get really tricky, you can do one each way. That'll be a bit of a challenge for you. Some people get it straight away, some people find it really difficult. Just battle, see how you go. 
So then from there, we've started to move the shoulders. Then we can start to think about utilising the waist um, and the side. So the next one we can do is just moving side to side that way. So by moving side to side, now I'm starting to stretch down along there, down my lats. So here and there on both sides. So I can start to feel that all the way down here and here when I'm stretching side to side. Again, just nice gentle movements. You shouldn't be feeling any real pain, but you will start to feel a little bit of a stretch and even in through my back there. All right, so from that, you can move on and start to then do some rotation with the waist. So now we're really twisting from here. This one, it's important that you just try to keep your knees fairly um, stable and moving and uh, pointing forward. So don't move your, your knees around too much because then you're not um, using this at all. That's a different movement. So we're just rotating from the waist here. The other thing that's good for this one is to then just try to get down a little bit lower into a lower position, like you would when you're starting to play table tennis. So this rotation is a, is a really important one for table tennis. You can see that you know when you're playing your forehands or when you're playing your backhands, you're utilising those muscles. So that's a nice, simple and easy one that you can use. So then we can do things like, um, even just with the groin stretch, just moving side to side. So doing from there to there, just starting to mobilise the movement sideways. So here and here. Uh, or we can do just around. So we can start at the bottom, go all the way around and then go around the other way. Another one you can try is going forwards and backwards. Forwards and backwards. So this is now starting to stretch in my uh, quads and in my hamstring as well. So, and in the hip area. And then you can do things like hanging on to a post or you can hang on to a table if you want and now start to move your leg backwards and forwards. So with this, again, stretching in your quads when you move back that way and stretching your hamstring when you kick it forward. So again, just a nice gentle movement. Just start to get the leg swinging backwards and forwards, which starts to mobilise it. Don't forget to use your other leg and do the same thing on the other side. And then you can do a sideways one, and I'll show you facing here. So now we're going to stretch sideways. So kick your leg across and then up to the side. And then do the other leg. And up to the side. So those sort of gentle movements just start to get um, the body starting to move, the muscles starting to move in directions that you'll start to utilise them when you start to get onto the table and, start and play uh, the game. Why are they important? Why is it important to do a warm-up? Firstly, gets the blood flowing, gets the heart rate up a little bit. You can hear that I'm puffing a little bit um, and I haven't really done it the full warm-up, but I'm puffing a little bit. I'm starting my, the blood starting to flow through my muscles, which then helps to reduce the risk of injury when you get onto the table. 
So Alice, that's really interesting about the dynamic stretches. When I first started playing, it was all the warm-ups were just static stretches. But when I do like a static stretch and, and pull and hold, it kind of almost feels a little bit painful. But these dynamic stretches feel a lot more comfortable and, and I kind of like them a bit better. Do you find that? Yeah. When, when you get out onto the table after doing that dynamic stretching, you, you're ready to move and you're ready to, uh, to start to hit some balls a little bit easier, I think. Yeah, so now I don't know much about the science of this, but is there any scientific reason why these are better? Um, no, they, they talk about the static stretches. Actually, when you hold and, and um, keep the stretch there, what tends to happen after you let it go is the muscle goes bang and actually shortens a little bit um, for that short period of time, which could lead to more injuries. So that's why they're now uh, recommending the dynamic stretches. Okay. And what about after the game? Is this static stretches still okay yeah. then? Or? Yeah, so static stretches are good. So they, they, do, um, they do help you uh, with your flexibility in the long term if you do, do hold and keep those static stretches. So that's something you can do at the end of training, perhaps. Okay, excellent. All right, well, yeah, there's a, a big difference from when I first started playing table tennis. Uh, take some of these ideas Alice has shown you and use them in your warm-up and see if you find that works better for you. time for the tournament wrap this week Alice we had the Pyongyang Open in North Korea what happened yeah so the Pyongyang Open um, it's a tournament that uh, has only been run for the second time uh, very heavily dominated by North Korean and Chinese players and a few other players thrown in there so just having a look at the results um, so the winner of the women's singles was uh, Kim Song E. Um, from North Korea, and she won 4-3 against Ri Myung Sun, also from North Korea. So 11-9 uh, in the seventh in that um, uh, final. So China obviously not sending their strongest players? No, yeah, uh, no, none of their top players were there, but they did send a lot of uh, their next level of players uh, to the Pyongyang Open. Um, and in the men's singles, um, so Kang Wee Hun was the winner. Um, and Kang Yi-Hun, also from North Korea, uh, winning 4-2 against Zhu Yingbin from China. So, uh, yeah, so mixed bag. As you said, not a really deep field. Um, this is one of the Challenger Series um, ITTF events. So um, it's not one of the top-level um, events as yet, yep. but they'll try to build that up over the next few years. Yeah, like we said, in North Korea, still, you know, quite a lot of political instability, so I guess not a lot of players' yep. favourite destination to go to. Yeah, absolutely, but it's great that the ITTF have got the event going there, um, and it's now a regular on the calendar. Excellent. Now, Alois, the next tournament, obviously the Olympic Games, you know, the biggest yep. tournament in table tennis, um, and we've seen that the full list is now out. Yep. And, you know, one thing I noticed is there's quite a few um, rejected records on the list. What does rejected mean yep. and, and who got rejected? Yeah, well, in the women's, there was only two. So, um, uh, Margarita Pazotska from uh, the Ukraine was rejected and 
The other one, the very famous one, Liu Shi Wen from China. Number one in the world, rejected. Rejected. So um, who rejects it? Their National Olympic Association has rejected it. So um, the, the National Olympic Committee of each country is offered the position um, and they can accept it or reject it. In this case, those two were rejected and Liu Xiwen was rejected. Why was she rejected? Because China um, already had Li Jia who had won the Asian Continental um, Qualification Tournament, and they wanted Ding Ning to, to get in there as the next player um, on world rankings. So that's, uh, that's why China rejected it. So we did talk recently about you know, the power of the, uh, the, the national selectors and that's, that's the power. Uh, okay, so Ding Ning, even though she's ranked lower, still qualified through her world ranking, but because China could only send two, yes. they rejected Li Xu Wen, number that's one. Right. And wow. Ding Ning gets in. So on the men's side, uh, quite a few more rejections. So uh, one from the Oceania region, so uh, Teng Teng Liu, the New Zealander. Um, the New Zealand Olympic Committee rejected that because they, um, their policy is that they only send players who they think are a realistic chance of winning medals. Teng Teng Liu not in that category. So. Okay, so he gets rejected. Who, who gets the position from the Oceania region? Uh, yep, so that then went to um, Joshua Shing from Vanuatu. So very popular um, yes. acceptance there. Uh, Joshua, a really col- colourful character uh, from Vanuatu. We've seen him a couple of times at the um, Olympic qualification tournament and then the Oceania Cup. Um, yeah, so we'll add lots of colour to the Olympics for sure. Um, but other players that were rejected, so the two Hong Kong players um, that got through in the Asian continental qualification... Um, were rejected because they wanted their two higher-ranked players from the world rankings to go through. So that was uh, Chun Tin Wong and Peng Tang. So Hong Kong wanted those players. So both through. of those going through, and who got rejected from Hong Kong? Um, Ho Kwan Kit and Tiang Yi Jiang. Okay. Uh, yeah. So other um, people that were rejected, Maharu Yoshimura from Japan, um, and then a couple of famous ones, so Zhu Xin, um, and Fan Zendong. Fan Zendong, of course, um, uh, would have got in there on world ranking places, but uh, China decided to give that spot to Zhang Ke. There you go. So, yeah, so a lot of, uh, lot of interesting uh, players in there, you know, players from Great Britain, Liam, Liam Pitchford um, is in there, and Paul Drinkle, both of them uh, getting into uh, the Olympic uh, qualification spots, so they'll be they'll be really popular players. Yeah, especially after their world championship heroics, uh, yeah, doing absolutely. so well in, yeah. in that tournament. Yeah, yeah so right. good to see them in the yep. Olympics. Excellent. Yeah, and then um, some some of the older players like Robert Gardos. He's not that old, but uh, <laughs> Robert Gardos um, in there. Um, Koki Niwa from Japan, and then you know some of the some some of the smaller countries um, uh, as well, getting some getting some places in there. I'm just looking through now for the men's. Um, so players like um, from India, um, uh, Sharat Kamala Chanta, very, very popular player from India and a brilliant player. Um, so he gets in as well as Sumijit Josh. Um, players from... Um, Kazakhstan, Kirill Gerasimenko. So, yeah, and, and that's, that's where I guess the selection process for the Olympics is good because it does spread it out 
um, across a lot of countries. But, you know, we have talked a lot yeah. about the fact that China doesn't get their best players in there. And yeah, I've talked to a few people about this, about the Olympics, and I think non-table tennis players, and yep. they kind of seem to think it's quite fair. You don't want to have, you know, China winning everything. And I think, you know, if you look at other sports, it's kind of similar. Like, a lot of the Olympics are team sports, so you only get to put one team in. You don't get to have, you know, a chance to win all the medals. So, if, so yeah, it's interesting that a lot of outsiders think that that's an, yep. a reasonable rule. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there will be plenty of debate as we go ahead, and especially if Zhang Ke doesn't perform at the Olympics, then we will really see. Exactly. Imagine he gets knocked out first round. Oh, oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, lots of exciting times coming up. Um, yeah, we'll keep you posted on any exciting news for the Olympics as part of our tournament wrap segment. And now it's time for Remember When, a look into table tennis history. And today's theme is starting out, and we're going to have a look at a very young table tennis champion, Timo Boll. Isn't it good to see Timo Boll at that age just being able to keep the ball on the table? So he was four years old and all he was doing was just popping that ball on the table. You can see that the grip, no good, holding the bat like the tennis racket. But the thing that was really happening well there was that he was keeping that bat nice and flat, putting the ball on the table and not trying to hit the ball too hard. And whoever it was that was hitting the ball to him wasn't trying to beat him. He was just keeping the ball in play and um, allowing little Timo to keep that ball on the table. What a great video to have of a champion at such a young age and what he was doing at that age just as his introduction to the wonderful sport of table tennis. Now time for the questions. And remember, you can always ask your own question using the Ask the Coach section of the Ping Skills website. And first up, we have a question from Friendy. He says, I just want to ask, which grip is better? And give me your reason with your own opinion. I'm a shake hand player, but after thinking a lot about the grip between shake hand and pen hold, I like both of these grips and I think that the pen hold grip is better. Well, for starting out, the most important thing is that you find a grip that feels comfortable, but stick with the main grip. So as you talked about, friendly, there's the shake hand grip. So the shake hand grip is where you've got your thumb on one side, pointer finger on the other side, and your fingers just wrapped around the handle. Um, the other main grip is the pen hold grip, where you've got your thumb and pointer finger circling the handle. Then on the back, you've got your fingers either curved like that or spread out for a bit more control. So those are the two main grips. Try them both out, especially if you're starting out in table tennis, and just see which one feels more comfortable. So the shake hand grip, 
is better for um, the backhand especially, or it's a little bit easier for the backhand especially to start off with. The pinhole grip allows you more flexibility with your wrist and will allow you to generate a bit more spin. Um, and also, there isn't a crossover initially where you're just moving from side to side from the backhand side to the forehand side, so you don't need to switch sides um, to start off with like you do with the, with the shake hand grip. So they're the, they're the main features of the, of the two groups. Yeah, so when, when someone comes to you and is first learning, do you recommend a grip or you just say, just pick whichever one you prefer between the shake hand and the pen hold? It's funny, when they, when they come and pick up the bat, um, often they'll just use the shake hand grip or something similar to that. Um, so then I might modify that a little bit. But there are some people that come and straight away try to hold the bat with a pinhole type of grip, and so then I would modify that. So they're, they're really choosing their grip themselves to start off with, um, and I don't, I don't tend to change that. So it seems like we've got um, or had players that have used the pinhole grip and been number one in the world. We've had players that have used the shake hand grip and have been number one in the world. So it doesn't seem like there's a big limiting factor. But if I look at it, it seems to me like more and more people are using the shake hand grip. I guess it was common for the Asian countries to use the pen hold, and I think the shake hand is becoming more prevalent. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. The, the shake hand is definitely more prevalent, um, even at the top level now. You know, Ma Long's using uh, the shake hand grip. So Ma Long, Zhang Jiku, all those guys. So Zhu Xin um, uses the pen hold grip and plays the game pretty well, so you can definitely reach a very, very high level using the penhole grip still, but um, in general, yeah, I think the shake hand grip is probably just easier, uh, especially when you're switching sides to start off with. Yeah, so it is interesting. I wonder, like, if we look back in 30 years' time, is that trend going to continue and the penholes going to become even rarer? Yeah, well, I think it... it it's almost made a little bit of a comeback with the use of the reverse penhold uh, backhand, but yeah, still I think you know just the, the shake hand backhand is easier to play. Yeah, excellent. All right, well, good question, Friendy. Thank you for that one. Um, and of course, our theme today is starting out in table tennis, so you know choosing a grip very important. So yeah, stick with one of the popular ones, either the penhold or the shake hand. Next up is a question from Duncan who says, the quality of my practice at the moment isn't the best. Um, it's an age-old scenario of players wanting match play um, or clubs being too busy to get a reasonable density of practice. So Duncan's asking, at my level of play, is a robot beneficial? Well, my opinion's changed a bit on this over time. So initially I used to think, well, robots, no good. Um, can't get good practice with them, and mainly because I'd never used, I've never used one, or I've never had the um, the real need to use one in my training. But I think robots have a real place in your situation, especially Duncan. So you don't get the table time when you go to a club, or your practice partners just want to play games. So in that situation, I think a robot is useful and it's something that you can really implement into your game. You know, it, de it depends on the robot that you're using and also um, it depends on what you're trying to uh, practice in particular. So, um, you know, 
as I said, if you don't have a practice partner, they can be really useful, especially for grooving strokes or to getting your strokes correct or, or practicing some set drills. Uh, they can be really good. The more advanced uh, robots, can you can program in where you want the ball and different types of spin that you can use as well. So, um, so if you can get a robot um, that can do that and at a reasonable price, um, then I think you're on the right track. Yeah, excellent. That, that sounds like good advice. And uh, we may have an exciting announcement coming up shortly about robots, so stay tuned for that. Um, but thank you for the question, Duncan. Uh, next up is one from Musab. And Musab says, Since I'm a fan of ZJK or Zhang Zikhe, I bought a Zhang Zikhe ALC and attached uh, to DHS Neo 3 as the forehand and Tenergy 64 as the backhand. Now, these are really fast rubbers. And Musab says, it was a lot better and I progressed a little, but now the main problem arises. This blade is extremely fast, and as a result, um, the rubbers become so sensitive to incoming spin that I can't control it. I've got no control at all, and it's impossible for me to block back top spins. Big problem, and it's a problem we see all the time uh, with players. Just getting a bat that's a bit, just a bit too fast or a lot too fast for them. So what happens when you get a bat that's too fast is exactly what's happened to you, Musab. Um, it's hard to control spin when it's coming in. So any spin that someone puts on it, because the ball's bouncing out of your bat so fast, it's really difficult to control. So the, the effect of that spin is really marked and the ball is flying everywhere. The second thing is, as you said, with blocking as well. So when someone attacks at you, if you're trying to block the ball or if you're trying to push the ball short, it's really difficult to do with a faster bat. So the moral of the story is always think about getting a bat that's a little bit slower to start off with, a good control type um, blade. The blade is the wood that we use um, and also a good control rubber to start off with. If you can do that then you'll start to learn the game properly, you'll start to learn your strokes properly. And then with your strokes, you'll be able to play full strokes with the slower bat and still keep the ball on the table. If you've got a fast bat and you're trying to play a full stroke, the ball will fly off. And then what you will tend to do is you'll start to compromise your stroke and tighten up and, um, and you won't learn the correct stroke. So yeah, really important was up. And my advice to you would be, Put that bat aside, put it in a cupboard um, for six months, um, get a slower bat, uh, slower rubber that you can use, use that for six months, um, even up to a year, um, and then get the other one out of the cupboard and just see then if it's the right speed for you. Yeah, interesting, because I've heard a lot of counter-arguments to that, saying, you know, if you're going to end up with a fast bat, why not start with a fast bat and you'll sort of grow into it? But I guess what you've said there is that that doesn't really work because you never grow into it because you're not ever playing a full stroke properly. Yeah, that's right. You're not, you're not learning the correct technique and your technique will, will um, suffer and you'll have to compromise technique. So, yeah, so definitely go something slower to start with and then you can work your way up. Okay, makes a lot of sense. All right. Um, excellent. All right. Thank you, Musab. Great question. Next up is a question from Eugene, and he says, 
Table tennis is a very fast sport, as you know, and we usually don't have a lot of time to do big strokes, especially on the backhand side. So is it a good idea to just use a counter hit or a drive to hit balls on the backhand side only and rely on good control and good placement to win points? He goes, I think this way it's faster to recover than having a big backhand top spin. Yeah, so with the backhand um, strokes, what you're really thinking about is how much time you really have to play these strokes. So if you've got more time, then yes, your strokes can be a lot bigger. If you don't have time or if the ball's coming in too fast, then you need to compromise and you need to shorten up your strokes there. Mm, can you show us, do a bit of a demonstration yeah, about what this sure. looks like? Yeah, So I think that'll be, that'll be really, I'll get out there and I'll show you some of these techniques. Awesome. So the first thing is to just think about how much time you have, as I said. So if I've got a lot of time, I can then give myself more space, turn myself more side on and do a bigger stroke. But if I'm closer to the table and the ball's coming at me faster, then I'm just shortening up that stroke to allow for the amount of time that I've got on the backhand side. The other thing you need to think about is if you are a forehand dominant player or a backhand dominant player. So if you are a forehand dominant player, you might stand a little bit more side on uh, facing towards the forehand, which means that you'll tend to play perhaps a bigger stroke there and then if the ball comes on the backhand then you don't have as much time or as much space to play with the backhand. But if you're a backhand dominant player then you might be square or even perhaps a little bit turned around this way which means that then you're going to be able to play a bigger stroke on the backhand and perhaps a smaller stroke on the forehand. So you just need to decide for yourself what suits you. So Eugene, work out for yourself how much time you have firstly and that will allow you to work out how big your stroke can really be on the backhand side. Okay Alois, next question is from Luca, he mm -hmm. says, how do I keep my eyes on the ball? And again, when starting out this is a common question we get from people. Yeah it is. So when you are focusing on keeping your eyes on the ball, the first thing is to just try to start tracking the ball from as early in the rally as you can. So if you're serving, it's a good idea just to find a really nice little spot on the ball and focus on that spot before you start the rally and then you're away and then you're starting to um, track the ball all the way through the rally. If your opponent has the ball, then basically I'm going to try and spot the ball there and then I'm going to start to track the ball all the way during the rally. So it's a matter of doing this in training. So don't think about only doing this when you get to a match situation because if you leave it to just the match situation you're going to find that you haven't practiced that skill enough. It's like any other skill in table tennis, you need to practice it. So in training, sometimes when you're doing your, your match drills even, just get out there, start by watching the ball carefully throw the ball up and then you're away and then you're watching the ball and tracking it all the way during the rally.
So how do you keep your eyes on the ball? Practice it. Track the ball from as early in the rally as you possibly can, Luca. Next up is a question from Hector who wants to know, what should I look for when buying a table tennis table in terms of the colour, the weight, the brand? Um, what things should he consider? So what is important when choosing a table tennis table? So the main things to look at when you are considering a table tennis table are firstly, the thickness of the top. Now, we're not talking about this whole thickness here. This is just a skirting, this part here. We're just talking about how thick the actual uh, piece of wood is that the ball's bouncing on. So that's the, the, um, the thickness that you're looking for there. As a guide, if you can get anything around 18, 20 mils or even more, then that's better. The thicker, the better, because the thicker it is, the more even bounce you're gonna get all over the table. Think about it in the extreme. If you had a really thin piece of wood, um, it'd be too flexible, too soft, um, and then the outside would be a bit different to the inside. So a nice, thick uh, piece of wood is what you're really looking for. As far as um, the types of uh, brands, there's a whole lot of brands out there. It's more about just, just sticking with um, a, a brand that is pretty well known. You know, we, we use the Steger uh, tables at the moment, but there's, as, there's literally um, you know, lots and lots of uh, brands that you can use. Steger, Yasaka, Butterfly, DHS, etc., etc. Um, if you do need any advice, just ask us on the, um, on the Ask the Coach page of the website and we'll give you some, um, some feedback as to what we think about uh, different brands of, uh, of tables. The next thing that you need to think about is also thinking about the net and how easy that is to take off. So the net that we've got here is, um, it's again, the Stegen net. It's pretty sturdy. It's got a screw uh, down the bottom here, which you loosen, and then that just comes off um, on one side, then you do the same on the other side. And that's pretty easy to take off there. A simple way of rolling these up, and I see players sort of rolling them up little, just put the two clamps together and then you just roll them over like that. And then that's all set there for you for the next time you wanna use the net. So let's now think about the table. So the other really um, important things about the table are how portable they are. So especially if you're going to be setting up the table and putting it down all the time, we're lucky here in the Ping Skills Shed, we can leave it um, set up all the time. But certainly at home, you might be looking to, um, to have it out in your uh, lounge room or, or somewhere else. So you need to think about how portable and how easy they are to fold up. These ones here are very easy. So you see that they come, uh, the table comes apart into two halves. Then all you need to do is lift up the table like that. It locks in and you've now got half a table there. And the other thing then is how good the wheels are. So the bigger, the thicker and the chunkier the wheels that you can um, get, the better. If you've got little caster wheels, uh, they're gonna break really easily, especially if you are moving them um, 
a lot and on floors like you know concrete floors and things they will break very easily so the, the bigger um, wheels that you can get the better it is the next thing you think about is okay so how easy it is to move but also how easy it is to store so you can see here that that's going to store pretty easily because um, it's that's the that's the width here and that's the base of, um, of, how, of, of the space that you really need. Now, I'll go around here and just fold up the other one for you. So now, always store them face to face. And you can see that now, basically it stores in a very small area that you can put away and tuck away in a corner um, of your room so that now you've got a whole, um, whole room that you can use again. So they're the main things that I like to um, advise people on when they're buying a table tennis table for the first time. So the thickness of the wood, the, um, how easy it is to fold up, the size of the wheels and the portability and then also the storage area. So, and those things may have different relevance to you, but if you think about for yourself, what's important in a table for you, um, and then go from there. For me, number one though is thickness of the top. Well, that wraps up the first Ask the Coach show in a new format. I hope you like it. Give us some feedback. Let us know your thoughts. Do you prefer this with a bit of demonstration? Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And, of course, thank you for watching, and thank you, Alice, for all your words of wisdom. Yeah, thank you, Jeffrey, and thank you, Ping Skillers. You've been great supporting us, and we love doing these Ask the Coach shows. So give us some great feedback. Bye for now.